Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen and today is March 12th. Today we're going to continue talking about Emma Smith and the revelation given to her that's found in section 25. Verse 4 says, Murmur not because of the things which thou hast not seen, for they are withheld from thee and from the world, which is wisdom in me in a time to come. So here in this scripture, the Lord is specifically talking to Emma Smith about how she hadn't seen the gold plates, at least not the way that Sister Whitmer had seen them. The Lord is telling her to murmur not, to not get upset because she didn't have that opportunity. He then says they're withheld from me, but they're withheld from everyone pretty much at this point. Only a handful of people had seen them. So he's telling her to be careful with her attitude, to not murmur and to find joy in the blessings that she does have. You can't hear a scripture talking about murmuring without thinking of Nephi and Laman and Lemuel. But more often than not, murmuring or a poor attitude is a symptom, and it's not the cause or the disease. In 1 Nephi section 2 verse 12, it says, And Laman and Lemuel, being the oldest, did murmur against their father. And they did murmur because they knew not the dealings of that God who had created them. So the closer we are to our Father in Heaven, the closer we are to the Spirit and trying to understand our Father's desires for us, the better our attitude becomes, the more we're able to trust and to go along with His plan for us. You know, it's funny, oftentimes we talk about Nephi as being the hero and Laman and Lemuel being the villains of this story, and they weren't great. (laughs) I'm not going to pretend like they were these fantastic guys, but... They were all commanded to go back to Jerusalem and to retrieve the plates. They all went. Laman and Lemuel returned to Jerusalem. They tried to retrieve the plates as well. The big difference between Nephi and Sam and Laman and Lemuel was the attitude with which they obeyed or the attitude with which they tried to follow their father. Oftentimes that is the case in our lives too. Our attitude can hold us back. We talk about sins of commission, meaning the things that we do and sins of omission, meaning the things that we don't do, but we don't talk often enough about the sins of disposition, meaning our attitudes. And the really scary thing is that nine times out of ten, all sin begins with sins of disposition. The adversary's smart. He knows not to try to have us jump straight into the deep end of the pool. Most of us wouldn't do that. But 2 Nephi 28 verse 21 says, And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. So most big sins don't begin with us actually doing the big sin. Most big sins start little by little, piece by piece, step by step, as the adversary leads us carefully away. So it doesn't start with the sins of commission. Oftentimes it doesn't even start with the sins of omission. Nine times out of ten. It begins with the sins of disposition, our attitudes, how we look and approach things. So here the Lord is giving Emma that warning. Murmur not. Be careful with your attitude as you approach these things of the Lord, as you approach the Lord's plan. To be honest, I can totally understand where Emma was coming from here. She's experiencing persecution. She's experiencing trial. And she wants to see why. She wants to see the plates and have an experience with the plates like others have had. So I understand her feelings. However, the Lord still warns her, murmur not. Beware of your attitude. One of my favorite quotes by President Packer 
tells us how we can better our attitude when it comes to the Lord's plan. He says, true doctrine understood changes attitudes and behavior. The study of the doctrines of the gospel will improve behavior quicker than the study of behavior will improve behavior. So as we focus on true doctrines, as we try to learn and to study truth, our attitudes change and the behavior also changes. Okay, so going on to verse five, it says, and the office of thy calling shall be for a comfort unto my servant, Joseph Smith Jr. Now I've heard some women talk about this scripture as if it's a giant blow for feminism. Like the only thing that women are good for is to be comforts to our husbands. And my friends, that is so not the case. People who see this scripture in that way are clearly missing what is said in verse 9. It says, And thou needest not fear, for thy husband shall support thee in the church. There is give and there is take here in this section. Emma supporting Joseph and Joseph supporting Emma. An equal balance, which is exactly what marriage should be. President Hinckley once said, Marriage in its truest sense is a partnership of equals with neither exercising dominion over the other, but rather with each encouraging and insisting the other in whatever responsibilities and aspirations he or she might have. Now, I love this because, yes, marriage in its truest sense is a partnership of equals, but that doesn't mean that we need to see ourselves as being exactly the same in our marriages. That's not necessary in order for us to be equal. I want you to imagine that I have four quarters and you have 10 dimes. Do we have equal amounts of money? Absolutely. Do we have the same money? No, we don't. And each one of us in our marriages and in our relationships, even in our friendships, will find that we all have our own strengths, responsibilities, and aspirations that are unique to us. But our job as a spouse or a friend is to nurture that in others and to support one another, to be each other's biggest cheerleaders. Doctrine and Covenants 42.22 says, Thou shalt love thy wife with all thy heart and shalt cleave unto her and none else. And that could go the opposite way. Thou shalt love thy husband with all thy heart. It is our job to be fiercely, fiercely loyal to our companion. And that's what the Lord is trying to tell Emma here to be there for Joseph, to support, to sustain him, and to love him. But it isn't a one-sided thing. He goes on to say that Joseph would be the support, the companion, and the friend that she would need as she continued in her work as well. President Hinckley once said, In our old age, my beloved companion said to me quietly one evening, You have always given me wings to fly, and I have loved you for it. That is what we should strive to be doing for our companions. As a wedding gift, my husband gave me a violin, knowing that I had never played a note on a violin in my life, but knowing that it was something that I've always wanted to do. And in the note attached to the violin, he said, I always want to give you wings to fly. My friends, whether it's in the small things, like the gifts we give one another, or the big things, like how we support one another in our callings, our goals, our dreams, our aspirations, and our responsibilities. Let us always give our companions wings to fly. Let's support one another equally, comforting one another, supporting one another, and sustaining one another in all that we do. 
as a true partnership. Not 50-50, because that will never be enough, but 100 and 100. Each doing all that we can, and maybe even a little more when our partner is down, so that we can truly indeed give one another wings to fly. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe, like, comment, or share. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen.